You're listening to Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass, Coast to Coast. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Thursdays at 3 p.m. West Coast time, heard exclusively here on octalkradio.net. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we encourage, encourage you to consider listening to the program live during our broadcast times. <clears throat> the show is brought to you by Commerce National Bank, Succession Strategies, and Smart Business Magazine. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience, make better decisions. Critical Mass Coast to Coast is a production of Renaissance Executive Forums and Critical Mass for Business. If you'd like to learn more about Renaissance Executive Forums, then visit their website, www.executiveforums.com. We have two guests today. Our first guest is from the great state of Arizona. And it gives me pleasure to welcome Albert Smizer of Smizer. <coughs> excuse me, I'm talking Olson and Watts. Albert, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here. What about your firm? Well, the firm is an intellectual property firm. We deal with patent, trademark, and copyright law, uh, other types of intellectual properties such as uh, domain name issues, Internet uh, issues, cyber squatting, things like that. And uh, that's what we specialize in. We uh, have about 25 patent attorneys and agents, uh, offices in New York, Arizona, and uh, Washington, D.C. And as you can probably tell, I was originally from New York. I couldn't tell at all. No, I thought you were a native there in Arizona, actually. <laughs> Not quite. I know that your lawyers, in addition to being attorneys, are also scientists and engineers. Can you tell us a little bit of how that benefits your clients? Patent law is the only separate bar exam. So I'm a licensed New York attorney. I'm also a federally registered U.S. patent attorney. And to take that patent bar exam and become a patent attorney, you need to have a background science degree. And that's essential because we deal with all different types of technology. So I mentioned we have about 25 attorneys and agents. Aside from being attorneys, we have Ph.D. chemists, we have you know, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, biotech people, so that they can relate to the inventors and understand what they've developed and then write and prosecute patent applications. The, the area of patent law and securing patents has been in the media. I'm a lay business coach, you know, here in Southern California, but I know that it's made the national news and the business news as well because there have been some fundamental changes, at least in how patent protection is viewed. I'm wondering if you, I'm not asking for any legal advice here. I'm just <laughs> asking from your knowledge of the uh, of that sector of law, can you give the listening audience, which are mostly business owners and executives, sort of a, a sense for what's been going on in the past few years? Not a problem. Uh, actually, it's interesting because I also teach patent law. I'm an adjunct professor at a local law school here. And uh, so this year, this semester, I had the wonderful opportunity of two, teaching two areas, two sets of law, the old law and the new law that kept, came in place primarily on September 16th. It's called the American Invents Act. And probably the, the biggest change is that we're, we're joining more of uh, the worldwide laws and trying consistency throughout the world because most patents these days 
are filed overseas, and it's a more of a global approach. So probably the biggest the biggest change is that the United States has gone to what they call first to file. Um, used to be that if you were the first to invent something, then you could prove that you could own your rights if somebody else had come up with the same or similar idea. Uh, now it's more of a race to the patent office. So without getting into all the nuances, because it's pretty long, uh, pretty long set of laws, uh, that's probably the most important thing. So if somebody has an idea, has an improvement or something that could be patentable, it becomes much more important now to pursue it as quickly as possible. Albert, from what I've heard, and you know, most of the people that listen to the program tend to be mid-market CEOs and business owners or smaller entrepreneurs. This change in in view based on patent law, it, it was it felt somewhat controversial because it, it's there were there was a side of an argument that said this may favor different sized companies, etc. What's your sense of that, and is my recollection of that controversy even accurate? You know, I, I've heard it. I've actually, you know, talked to a number of people about that. Uh, I don't really agree with it being favorable to large businesses, as some people think. And the reason is I've been involved over the years in a number of interferences uh, or litigations where you're trying to prove who invented something first. And whenever you get involved in, in protracted litigation, it, it's always the the one with the most money who has the advantage, the large corporations. So in my mind, going to a first-to-file might be slightly disadvantageous to a small person because they have to move a little more quickly. But under the new law, if they filed first and two months later some big corporation files, you don't have to go through the protracted litigation to prove you invented first. You just look at the filing date and you filed first. And aside from some possible exceptions, uh, you're going to own those patent rights. So I actually think when it's looked at over a period of time, it'll benefit the uh, the smaller inventor who really isn't financially up for a, a big litigation with a multinational, multibillion-dollar company. Yeah, I guess if I had to say what do entrepreneurs have more of, time or money, I can follow your line of reasoning, counselor, so I'm going to accept your premise. They have more time. They also have more passion. This is not a company where you go in every day and things are developed and they go through the approval process. These are entrepreneurs. They're exciting. I've dealt with them for over 30 years, and it's it's phenomenal experience. They're passionate, they're excited, and they're motivated because they're, they're making a real difference in their or their small company lives. And that's, that's a great, great aspect of, of dealing in patent law. Yeah, and many times, I'm sure you've seen this, especially with entrepreneurs, that patent may be their only path to having a viable business. So it's critically important to them versus you know, my sense and having worked in Fortune 100 and Fortune 50 companies, they don't usually bet the farm on any one technology. It's just they're so diversified. It's nice to have it for the growth, but it's not critical to the survival of the business as it would exactly. be. Exactly. One of the things when I talk to a, a small company or, or an individual inventor that I try to get across is that patents aren't best used to go out and sue people because that's expensive. Uh, for the small to mid-sized company or the independent inventor, the patent forms the basis for a lot of times raising funds, getting investment capital, 
for uh, marketing purposes. It's a lot easier to uh, get your product put on the shelves when you can explain that it's patented and that if the company wants to buy it, they have to buy it from you because uh, you own the patent. So I like to look at uh, a patent uh, more as a, as a tool, a businessman's tool, to raise funds and, and market their their company. I completely agree. It's a barrier to entry. It's all the things that you said. It's a part of your assets and it's a it's a part of your the wealth of the company the intellectual property so the issue of patents can be confusing because it's a lengthy process and it's dealing with the federal government and i'm sure in your experience you've seen this as well many entrepreneurs and and mid-market ceos aren't really clear on what that means when you have to engage a federal agency to secure a patent but from your experience when an inventor has a patent and they want to work with you, and I know that you you guys file many successful patent applications every year, what's, what can the, an entrepreneur or business owner expect the process to be like, Albert? What, what, what are they in for? Well, you know, the first thing I always say, and this is one of the first things that taught, was taught to me by the person who was my mentor, a man by the name of Charlie Watts, who was absolutely brilliant in patent law. And that is, I, I asked him one of the first days at work, I said, Charlie, how do I know something's patentable? And he said, well, show me a difference that makes a difference. And so I think the first step is for somebody who is in business, has products or processes, if they're doing something different and it gives them a benefit, if they have a difference and it makes a difference, that's something that could be the subject of a, of a patent application. As that person comes to me and I look at it, one of the first steps can be performing a patentability search in order to determine whether or not the idea really is available for patenting. Then, and you're 100% right, you're dealing with the government, the process can be long, it can be somewhat laborious and tedious, but the, the key and what I try to focus the inventor on is not the getting the patent, because that, just because you're dealing with the government, can take easily a year or two, or more in some cases. The, the key for them, and I'm sure you've seen it many a time, is to get patent pending, okay? And, and you see a lot of products out there. They're not patented, but they're marked patent pending. When you file your patent, that kind of establishes your right. You know, I filed it at this day. And especially with the American Invents Act, um, where first the file becomes so important. Now you've got a patent pending. You can go out. You can show your product without any concern of losing it. You can, again license it if somebody's interested in helping you develop it you can use it to raise funds or you can use it as an entry to to try to actually sell the product so we we meet with the person if it's patentable we write the patent application up they review we go back make sure we have everything covered get patent drawings done get it filed and the minute it's filed your patent pending it's filed electronically now and i tell people the minute that happens run as fast as you can with the technology. Okay. Uh, interesting conversation. I'm so glad that Steve Pincus and Phoenix brought you to our attention here for Critical Mass Coast to Coast. I'm going to ask you to be patient. We're going to take our first commercial break. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to ask you to explain, if you would, Albert, to, to our audience, the difference between a, applying for a, you know, a, a patent and maybe applying for a trademark or service mark. Are you comfortable in helping our audience kind of understand those different areas? Yeah, I've been doing it for about 35 years. I'm really okay. comfortable 
with it. You have a rough idea of what we're going to be talking about. So, ladies I have and gentlemen, a few thoughts. Stay, stay with us here on Coast to Coast. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. Thanks. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire? or try and pass that business on to your children. At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Welcome back to Critical Mass Coast to Coast. I am your host, Rick Franzi. As I said, Critical Mass Coast to Coast is a production of Renaissance Executive Forums and Critical Mass for Business. Renaissance Executive Forums brings together top executives from non-competing companies into an advisory board process through which thousands of leaders gain fresh ideas, and new perspective. If you're interested in learning more about the process, then find them on the Internet at executiveforums.com. Albert Schmeiser is my guest. He's the managing partner with Schmeiser, Olson, and Watts. We're talking about, oh, various things in the area of law. His expertise is in patent, trademark, service, mark law. And before the break, I was going to ask Albert to share a little bit of the distinctions between the different filings and Without getting too deep into it, could you help our audience to sort of understand the general times when you would want to apply for a different type of patent or mark? Patents, as I mentioned before, if you have any product, process, or something that is different and makes a difference, something that gives you a benefit, a better tool, um, maybe a better iPhone app, something like that that actually has a function, um, that's something to consider for patenting. And you file a patent application. If you get a patent, it lasts from 20 years to the date of issue, and it gives you the right to exclude others from making, using, selling, or importing that invention, that idea. Um, trademarks, you can have any number of patents marketed under uh, a trademark. You think of Nike and all the things that they market or 
some other company. Trademark started thousands of years ago when pottery makers or weavers put their little mark on their pottery or or blankets uh, to show that it was their quality, uh, their uh, their item. And it brings with it a certain sense of confidence. For example, you're in South Dakota, you see a McDonald's, you go and you ask for a Big Mac, you're going to get the same Big Mac you got down in Arizona or in New York. But the reputation of the company is carried in the trademark of the company's goodwill. So whenever you have a, uh, a name uh, for your company or for a product or product line, it's in your best interest to protect that name. Uh, trademarks do not have a limited duration. You can keep renewing them, and they can last virtually for forever. Uh, you take a product like Monopoly, great game. Monopoly was a patent. They patented the idea of putting hotels in houses and charging you more rent when you landed on them. And that patent expired, but the name Monopoly was federally registered, and so... For as long as that game is out there, for as long as that trademark's maintained, nobody can use that name on a similar or confusingly similar product. I should mention, too, that trademarks also these days are very important when it comes to domain names. Domain addresses are becoming extremely valuable to companies, and we've had numerous instances where we've had trademarks for our clients, and somebody starts using a confusingly similar domain name to steal away their, uh, their customers. And when you have that trademark registration, it makes it much easier to go in and either file a lawsuit or get that infringing domain name transferred over to you. Can you share from your perspective, Albert, the difference between a trademark and a service mark? It was a distinction that used to exist more years ago. They're both trademarks. Again, a trademark is, is acquired for something where you show a source of your goods. We made this. And years ago, there were more distinctions than there are now. But if it was a product, you know, such as, uh, you know, sneaker from Nike, then that was a trademark. If it was a service, such as a McDonald's or Wendy's, then it was considered a service mark. Uh, you used to file different applications. For a service, you, ser you filed the service mark application. Uh, for a product, you filed the trademark application. Now they're all considered trademarks, and you simply designate on the application whether it's for goods or services. This is interesting, and I think it's, I think it's an underused aspect for entrepreneurs and business owners who, who aren't creating products, the idea of trademarks and, and how they might benefit their business. You, you brought up a powerful concept, which is, your URL domain name, and how important controlling your brand and creating a space for your brand. I was able to successfully secure the name Critical Mass in my area of expertise, and I got a trademark on the name Critical Mass um, a year ago because that's the name of my business in the area of coaching and, and the things that I do. I actually saw the benefit of that um, shortly after I secured it. I received a request from an entrepreneur in a different part of the country who wanted to offer a similar service and use the name critical mass in his market and his lawyer told him that when they did the patent trademark search that you know I was out there and I held it and he he needed to request it from me so immediately I saw sort of the not that we were competitive in any way but I saw the value of having that registration and that name secured for my business perfect example and you know the other possibility was 
if that person had used it, even if it was in a little bit of a different area, what if they were really lousy at what they did? And all of a sudden, the name critical mass starts becoming related to this somewhat sleazy operation somewhere else or somebody who's ripping people off. And all of a sudden, the value of your name that embodied all the effort and goodwill you put into it and all the honesty and everything else all of a sudden gets gets significantly diminished. From my experience, I encourage, again, I work with mid-market and entrepreneurial companies. I, I encourage them to think about their name, if they have a unique name for a product that they're or a service they're bringing to the market. I think it's worth the investment of working with a professional firm such as yourself to do the search and to see if it's worth it and at least get the advice because if you can secure the name and you can trademark it, then it's just another thing that you have as a as a property of the business that would create value in the future for you, especially as you maybe decide to sell the business or uh, pass it down to your kids or, you know, whatever. It's It's another asset that you have in the business, I believe. You know, just a quick story. I had an attorney who called me one time, corporate attorney, and he says, we're in the process of buying this business. It was, it was a restaurant. It was a very well-known restaurant in our local area. But I keep asking him about the trademark, and, uh, and I'm not getting straight answers. So I did a quick trademark search, and I said, well, the reason you're not getting a straight answer is because the name of that restaurant is trademarked by a company out on the other coast. <laughs> And you may not have heard of them, but they have a federal trademark registration. And the day after you buy that restaurant, you could get a cease and desist letter and have to change the name, which was where the value was. Literally overnight, the purchase price of that restaurant dropped by about $400,000. Wow. See, that is, again, it's those kind of stories that people need to pay attention to because it's a big country with a lot of entrepreneurs, and you don't know who else might have already secured it or it's an opportunity for you if you want to to find a revenue source off of it if some large corporation may want that that name and finds value in it so it's just it's just another thing to think about and i was so excited when steven said you were going to be on the show and i did some background on you and your firm i really like the way you position yourself in on the web you guys are forward thinking with videos and stuff and i really was impressed with the work that you're doing in your market so if someone would like to find you online, what can you give them your your URL, your website, please? You bet. The URL is IP, stands for Intellectual Property, and then Law USA. So it's IPLAWUSA.com. And that's the firm. We've got offices, uh, Arizona, New York, D.C., and uh, we handle clients literally all over the world. We file patents, trademarks, and copyrights in virtually every country in, in the world. So we, we also offer free initial consultations. Feel free, contact us, give us a call. Uh, we'll have one of our professionals spend some time. Make sure you understand what your rights are and what opportunities you have. Is it your experience that this area is increasing with, you know, with the uh, kind of the economy and everything that's going on? Are there more people making patent and trademark filings, or is it kind of a steady state or declining? What's your experience, Albert? It's increasing as technology is increasing. As we all know, technology is is literally on a tear. It's interesting because even when the economy downturns, I went to visit one of our clients, big worldwide company uh, with offices in Texas, 
and I went down there, I was speaking to 20 or 30 of their engineers, and the head of the company uh, was there with me, and he said, this is a bad market. It's very hard to sell. We need to get patents so that we can go out there and show people that we have improvements and things better and that we can make the sale because it's not going to be as easy as it was. So sometimes even in a down market, companies will actually rely more on their technology because in a tough market they need every edge they can get to make those sales and to show that they are offering a better product or service. I said I, I was going to let you go, but then you got interesting again on me, so okay. I wanted to hang, keep you hanging around just for a little bit longer, Albert. And, and, no and I guess that's a question that I have because it's clear to me if you have an invention or a technology, boy, you ought to you know, go for a patent and, and patent that. But if you also have a, a, a service, a unique, a, a difference that makes a difference, it doesn't have to be a tangible product. And, and many times service organizations, I don't know that they even think that maybe they should be looking at can I patent this this process procedure the way we deliver the service that's that's another area that you would encourage entrepreneurs and business owners to consider as well wouldn't you by all means again one of the reasons we provide a initial consultation no charges unless you're in the field it's hard to really know and we'll go into we'll talk to individuals or we'll go into companies and we'll do what uh, we refer to as an IP audit sit there look at what people have talk to them look at maybe if they have a catalog or something and just educate them as to all the possible intellectual property rights they have to uh, protect them from competitors and to increase the value of their business. Uh, long ago, I learned that there's no harm in asking. If anybody has any questions, contact us or another IP firm and find out what you have because it could be uh, the difference between your success and failure, and uh, it could be something obtain and pass on for generations and... Uh, be the basis for your success. Well, I appreciate your time today here on Critical Mass Coast to Coast. Thanks for being a friend of the program. Welcome to the Critical Mass and Renaissance Executive Forums community and continued success with your firm uh, in the markets that you service. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate everything uh, that you guys offer. And, uh, you know, if you ever have any questions, just give us a call. You got it. Thank you, Albert. Appreciate okay, it. Okay, Rick. Take care. All right. Bye. That was our first guest, ladies and gentlemen. As I said, we're going to have two. And so if you were waiting for my interview with Matt Keener of Keener Marketing Solutions, then you have to wait just a little bit longer because he is in the in the barrel. My producer gave me the thumbs up on the other side. I guess now he's my engineer. Paul Roberts gave me the thumbs up saying that Matt's on the line. So we're going to take a short commercial break and come back, and we're going to talk to Matt not only about his marketing solutions firm but about his book. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsor. My company made the switch to Commerce National Bank about six months ago. Our relationship officer was there every step of the way to make the transition as seamless as possible. We had an early hiccup with a deposit scanner, but they dropped everything and drove right to our offices to help. We couldn't feel better about our decision to switch. Instead of calling an 800 number and navigating through automated menus, now I call my Commerce National Bank relationship officer directly for any questions we have. Just knowing that they're so easily accessible and willing to help really puts me at ease. They offer the same technology as the big banks, but deliver it with superior service and training. They're also rated a full five stars by Bauer Financial. So if your organization is a small or medium-sized business in Orange County, you should make the switch too. Call Mary Miller, Senior Vice President, at 949-870-3863 or visit them online at www.commercenatbank.com. 
That's commerce, natbank.com. Give Commerce National a chance to do better than your bank, and they'll handle the rest. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Be a reader, tutor or mentor. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge now at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Critical Mass Coast to Coast. I am your host, Rick Franzi. The engineer today is Paul Roberts. He is not the producer, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, uh, this show is one in a series of shows that we do here on octalkradio.net. On Tuesdays, you're invited to listen to our local show, local being focused on Southern California and Orange County. It airs at 4 p.m. It's been on the, sh- on the air for four years, and we've had over 600 guests on the radio program. <clears throat> on Wednesdays, is our nonprofit show. This is the sound of a flat screen television hurled off a building. Now the new bike your kid wants. These are the things you could have all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Use Energy Star light bulbs and appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Saving energy saves you money. <clears throat> Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Okay, now back to a revived Rick and his guest. Yeah, I don't know. There must be dust in the studio. i got to get the engineer to keep this place cleaner or something. I'm not quite sure what's going on today, but it's all my fault. Uh, hi, Matt. This is uh, Critical Mass Coast to Coast with Matt Kinnear of Kinnear Marketing Solutions. Welcome to the program. Hey, Rick. Thanks for having me. really appreciate it. All right, let's get started. What is your firm about? What does... Your firm, what the, what are marketing solutions and what do you offer to the marketplace? Well, I'll give you a little bit of background about how Keener Marketing Solutions came into existence. It really, it really came into existence out of necessity. Um, a little bit of perspective. I was working for a, um, a startup company in the printing industry and like a lot of uh, traditional business models, we were focused really on selling, you know, huge contracts with relatively thin margins and, and a, a relatively unpredictable cash flow. And so personally, I was looking for a way to, you know, bolster my, my own cash flow. And so I started looking around at some uh, different things to earn some income. And, you know, my goal was to find a way to, you know, offer my marketing expertise, um, you know, in the evenings, weekends, so on and so forth, but still, you know, maintain my role within that startup company that I had invested a lot of my own time in. And so, I, you know, I'd always heard about a working from home uh, sort of, idea on TV and radio, but I, I didn't think it could really be for real. And so I looked around at a few different programs, but they all seemed kind of fishy to me. And so then I thought to myself, you know, surely there's some type of eBay-like marketplace for business professionals like myself. And so I quickly realized, well, hey, I could offer my marketing services. You know, I have a background in um, search engine optimization, search engine marketing, um, you know, graphic design, web development, things of that nature. And, and there's actually businesses out there that are ready to tap into that expertise uh, through the power of the Internet. And so several years later, you know, I'm, I'm proud to discuss that, you know, I built a solid book of, of clients, mostly in the software industry. And, and I, uh, as part of Keener Marketing Solutions, really offer kind of a high-level marketing strategy, you know, and, and all those other services that I mentioned 
um, and on an ongoing basis. And one of the areas that we really specialize in is managing virtual teams. So as opposed to having a, a lot of uh, people on site, you know, you can you can pick and choose different areas of expertise to bring on board. And so that's, I guess, if I had to put it in a nutshell, that's the the background of the company. It sounds like you're in a very hot space, not to sound too trendy or whatever here on Critical Mass Coast to Coast, but it, I mean, all the things that you're talking about doing, I know from direct experience with my clients that are mid-market CEOs, business owners, and entrepreneurs, uh, you know, those, those are services that they are in desperate need of, and with technology has made it price advantaged for them. They can afford to do the kind of work that I know that you're able to help them with. It's not solely the domain of the large corporations anymore because of technology right. and people like you. Exactly. And, you know, it's kind of funny when you look, when you compare side by side some of the larger corporation websites and marketing presence and you compare, you know, some of the startups or smaller mid to size uh, uh, software companies that I do a lot of work for, you'd almost think that the smaller to mid-sized companies, just based on their marketing presence, are actually the bigger companies, and the bigger companies you'd think are the smaller companies based on, you know, how the website looks or how they're presenting their materials. So really the power is the Internet, and so, you know, whether it's through your marketing or managing a virtual team or, you know, becoming a work-from-home professional, it's just exploding. Like you said, it really is a hot spot. So speaking of work-at-home professionals, it leads us a nice segue into the next question that I wanted to ask you, which was about your latest book. I don't know, maybe it's autobiographical, Executive in Sweatpants. I mean, what does your book teach others about working from home? The ultimate goal of the book is to give people, you know, some hope that there's a better career path waiting for them. And ultimately, it's to help inform people that these opportunities even exist. And so, um, I, really, the, the main crux of it is that anything really could be outsourced at a very high level. Any any business function, virtually anything, can be outsourced. And so anything that can be outsourced can be done from home. And so if you're a business owner, the book really teaches you how to tap into the millions of, you know, thousands if not millions of marketing professionals, sales professionals, accounting professionals, finance professionals that are, are willing and able to work on your behalf from the comfort of home, like myself. And if you're looking to become an executive in sweatpants by working from home, the book provides you a proven game plan, basically what I do every day, to become successful. And so I, I really give kind of the inside baseball of how I built my book of business, you know, what to do in order to close deals with clients in a virtual setting, and really how to foster long-term relationships that are work from home. You know, I mean, it's it's funny because I just went to a Christmas party with one of my clients whom I never have met before in person, and I've worked for them for close to three years now. And they're really the first client that I've ever shook hands with. It's crazy to think about, but it's the truth. And I believe that that this is something that every American should know about. Your background has not always been as an entrepreneur, and so you know that uh, it's a privilege to be able to work out of your to build a business and do it from your uh, a home-based business, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It's really the truth because there are there are certain boundaries you have to set for yourself. I mean, I talk about this in the book that it would be nice to go and just take a break and watch TV, or you know the 
the honey-do list is mounting and you're supposed to cut the grass and you forgot to do it over the weekend, so it'd be nice to step away and cut the grass. But I always look at it from the standpoint, if I'm not working whenever everybody else would be working, I'm not taking full advantage of the opportunity that I've been blessed with, which is working from home. Uh, if you're going to pursue a work-from-home career, you do need to set boundaries for yourself, and you know you need to have a good support team behind you. My wife is especially great. I mean, she lets me have my work hours in my office, and whenever work is over, you know, it's family time. So your point is exactly right. It is a blessing, and uh, you do need to respect that um, as an opportunity. You know, people can go to an office, and they can go into their cubicle, and they can virtually do no work even though they're physically at work. You know, the temptation to be distracted, especially if you have Internet access and you feel like you can do whatever you want with your computer without the company that you work for kind of monitoring your activities. There are more distractions at home, but I also think from my experience talking to entrepreneurs who've made the move from a corporate office, a company office to a home office, they find themselves working more, getting being more productive because it's so effortless to go into your office and just do a couple projects. I, I find for most of the people that I work with, Matt, that it's almost the opposite, that um, you almost have to control yourself not to work too much from your home office because yeah. it's so easy. You're exactly right. And when I mentioned the boundaries you have to set for yourself, you, you have to set boundaries so that there's not distractions for yourself, what we talked about. But at the same time, you have to be mindful of not being distracted to your family and personal life. I mean, I, I whenever I first got started, I, I really hit a lot of success early on. And so I had a lot of clients asking me to do a lot of different things. And so I, there was a period where I worked, you know, three weeks straight through. I didn't take a day off at all. I worked Saturday, Sunday, and, and so on. And I physically got to a point where I couldn't do that. You know, I know there's a lot of people that, that do it, but me personally, I, I need that day, at least the day off, to where I'm not thinking about work at all. And for me, that's, you know, that's Sunday. But in addition to that, in the evening, you've got smartphone access, You've got uh, clients in different time zones. You have to set boundaries for yourself, and at the same time you have to set boundaries for your clients and expectations that I'm available during these hours. So on the most part, if it's something urgent, you can reach me, but I'd prefer we address that during normal business hours. So what's been the response to your book, Executive in Sweatpants? What's been the early feedback, uh, activity, results? It struck a chord with, with the uh, people that have, have accessed it. It's been live for about two weeks my initial strategy was to get it out on Amazon Kindle, and so we launched that about two weeks ago. And the first week that I launched it, it actually reached number one in the Amazon Kindle home-based category, and it reached number three in the Amazon Kindle entrepreneurship category. So that was a huge milestone for me. We've had uh, you know, a ton of people download it. We've had a lot of great feedback on Amazon. You know, the next step is to continue building this buzz. Um, I'm currently in negotiations on a hard copy version of the book. So that should be out hopefully not too, too long from now. And so we're just going to keep moving forward and uh, you know, building the brand. So it's, it's been very positive. Did you ever expect that type of, I mean, I know you're proud of your work and everything. It's sort of like one of your children when you write a book. But, I mean, did you ever expect it to reach that type of success so early? I was really surprised, to be honest. I mean, I, I consider myself relatively attuned with uh, how different marketing tactics and strategies work. 
And to be honest, I just threw it on Amazon. I mean, I took care to make sure that the the optimization was there in terms of the uh, you know the the page and, and making sure the book is presentable. But we just threw it on there and uh, to see what happened, and it and it took off like gangbusters. So I I'm I was surprised, but at the same time, I feel like the message it's so unique. You know, like like I mentioned earlier, the work from home mantra kind of has gotten a bad rap. You hear a lot of commercials for work from home, work from home. Well, in reality, some of those may be fine, but some of them are scams. And so my goal was to provide kind of a, not so much a, a work from home message, but hey, this is a lifestyle. You know, you can work, work from home like an executive in sweatpants. And uh, let's start with that idea. And then I'll tell you exactly how to do it. It's more of changing the, the, the mentality of the, of the way people think about the work from home movement. We're going to take our final commercial timeout, uh, Matt. When we come back, I- I'm going to ask you to sort of explain to our audience, because there are people that are listening to the show either live or as a download on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else they'll find the podcast, maybe from my website, that are still working and thinking about being an entrepreneur. And so I, I-, I want you to talk a little bit to-, to who should be downloading and reading your book and when they do. Specifically, what are the couple things that they're going to be exposed to that will really help them with this idea of living a lifestyle of working from home? So uh, we're going to be back with Matt, but first, as I said, we're going to just step away to spend a little bit of time with a couple of our advertisers. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. Do you want a free analysis of your inbound marketing? Do you want it in 30 seconds or less? Then check out Marketing Grader, the free marketing tool from HubSpot. It's simple. Just go to marketinggrader.com, enter the URL that you want to analyze, and Marketing Grader will instantly give you a detailed report grading your lead generation, mobile marketing, social media, competitive benchmarking, and more. It's simple, it's powerful, and it's free. Marketinggrader.com. Welcome back to Critical Mass Coast to Coast. I'm your host, Rick Franzi. Before we go back to our guest, Matt Kinnear, we're going to let you know that if you haven't seen an episode of Critical Mass TV show, then now's the time. They're available off of our website. They're also available on our YouTube channel. And um, we're in production for our next episode, which is the January episode. It'll be available early part of January, just when you come back from the holidays you'll get a chance to watch our next exciting episode of Critical Mass TV, which is an in-depth interview, about five or seven minutes, with one of the luminaries from the Orange County business community. And we have an exciting one set up for January. Oh, baby, can't tell you about it yet, but you don't want to miss it. Anyway, let's get back to Matt. Matt, when we uh, came back from the break, I was going to ask you to sort of 
Tell us who should be buying, downloading your book and reading it, and what would be the specific benefit gain that they would get from spending time with your with your work. Great question, Rick. Um, I think that there's several different groups of people that could benefit from the book, and, and I've actually gotten feedback from, from several different uh, people that fall into these categories. And so I, I think that it has a wide appeal. The most obvious target market really falls into the, the, the person who is stuck in the corporate ladder, you know, maybe a, anywhere from a, an entry-level position all the way up to corporate executive, somebody who is either bored with what they're doing, wants to find something more um, self-fulfilling, or, you know, they just want, want to try something new. I feel that there is, there's little risk in, in making the leap. You know, you don't have to quit your job, you know, go into the work-from-home lifestyle. You can, you can dip your toe into it and, and start to build some momentum, kind of like the way I did. So I would say that people in the corporate world are definitely a fit. Um, you've got uh, anyone. I mean, I have had an overwhelming response from stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads. You know, people who would normally their only option would be maybe working after the kids go to sleep or maybe starting an eBay business. I feel that there is a great potential for that group of people who could provide you know some level of of uh, marketing or administrative support to businesses who need that help. Uh, in addition, I think that there's college students that people don't want to wait until they got their four-year degree to go out and start getting some marketplace experience. So instead of maybe pursuing an internship, they could start to build their virtual resume through the executive in, in sweatpants process and really get some real-world experience and simultaneously grow their virtual career. And, you know, there's a few other groups of people that I think, you know, could benefit from this. Um, I've actually had some people that had some disabilities. They weren't able to work in a normal environment. Um, maybe one lady that I spoke to, she couldn't sit down for long durations of, of time. And so by reading my book, you know, she was able to get the accommodation that she needs from her, um, from the work from home lifestyle and be a, a very successful sales professional from home. And, and also, you know, the final group, I would say, are retired professionals. I mean, we have a, a rapidly growing group of highly skilled, you know, baby boomers that are going to be retiring soon. And I think the idea of just retiring and quitting work may be a thing of the past. With being an executive in sweatpants, you could work five hours, 20 hours, whatever you want from the comfort of home, provide some really high-level value, and make some income at the same time. So I think that that really summarizes the crux of who would benefit from the book. The final question for you today here, Matt, on Critical Mass Coast to Coast. When you talk about executive sweatpants, I, I, I hear a movement here. I don't hear just a book and a lifestyle. I mean, I, I hear something that is gaining momentum. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but kind of what do you see for the future with executive sweatpants and w with your marketing firm? Yeah. Well, it's a very it's a very good question. I ponder it uh, continuously, and it's uh, it's it's really how do I get the message out fast enough? I don't know if you had a chance to watch the uh, the men who built America. I'm not saying I'm a man who built America by any means, but it was very inspiring because the uh, person they documented was John D. Rockefeller, and he was standing there looking at a well of oil just springing up from the ground. And his thing that he had was he brought order to the oil industry and he refined it. And so my goal, one of my goals, is to help first bring credibility to the industry and then also help businesses understand how to tap into that in a way that is reliable 
and benefits their business in the long term. So you're exactly right. It's not just a book, you know. I mean, it's it's more of a movement. It's a brand. And so on my blog, you know, I talk more about the higher level impacts of this this trend that we're seeing. And that's a beautiful thing about blogs and social media. You know, you can talk real time really about where things are going in the industry. And so I'm going to start with the blog, continue to build the brand and just see where it goes. I think it I think it has a lot of potential. So if someone would like to buy your book, learn more about your marketing solutions company, how, how do they find them online? How would, what would be the easiest way to do that? Well, they could go to Google and type in executive in sweatpants, or they could type that straight into the menu bar. And my website will pop up uh, on my executive in sweatpants website. There's a uh, free blog where you can subscribe to my uh, almost weekly blog postings. And I think that business owners and or potential executives in sweatpants would benefit from subscribing to that blog. Um, they could also, if they're interested in learning more about Keener Marketing Solutions, they could type in keenermarketingsolutions.com and my company will come right up. Well, it's great to have you on. I have a sense that you are going to help bring together this industry, this movement. I'm fascinated to watch your success from this point forward. I'm, I'm glad that you uh, were brought to our attention and we were able to spend this time together on the program. Thanks for being a friend of the program. Thank you so much, Rick. Greatly appreciate it. Continued success, Matt. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the interviews that we've done today here on Critical Mass Coast to Coast. This show airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. West Coast time on octalkradio.net. As I said earlier, we have two other shows in the series that are radio-oriented and that uh, is one on Tuesday, which is Critical Mass, our original show, which is in its fourth year of airing on octalkradio.net. And that's at 4 o'clock. And then on Wednesdays, we have our nonprofit show where we feature nonprofit organizations and their leaders from Southern California, again, here on octalkradio.net, live at 4 p.m. If you'd like to listen to any of the archives of our show, just come to my website, criticalmass4business.com, and we'll send you to our archive shop there. You'll see it under the uh, media division. Or you can go to Apple iTunes or Stitcher and type in Critical Mass uh, Radio Show, and up will come our archives. You know, uh, I'd like to thank our sponsors because without our advertisers, this wouldn't be possible. Commerce National Bank, Succession Strategies, and Smart Business Magazine. I'd like to thank our producer, Aaron Johnson, our engineer, Paul Roberts, our marketing communications manager, Kelly Faltus, and our guest coordinator, Kathleen Shepard. I'm your host, Rick Franzi, and until the next time we have a chance to talk, here's hoping that all of your decisions move your business in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass, coast to coast. Right here on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net.